The time is at hand. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order. One of the many spirits said to haunt the area. Unknown animal attack. We need a great reset. Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. The belief that supernatural beings appear among us from time to time is to be found in every human culture in every period. Religion is far from having a monopoly on such visitations, which are a more common theme in folklore. And the reports are probably as frequent in our own day as they ever have been in our sophisticated Western culture as among the most primitive ones. The diversity of the visitants is broad. There are those who share the earth with us, the fairies and their kind. There are those who visit us from celestial or infernal regions, the angels and demons. And there are those who come from outer space, the extraterrestrial aliens. Strange visitations this week in dark places. <laughs> This is Mr. Haunted, your In Dark Places news correspondent, with this week's Cryptid Corner. Out of Washington State, we have the Tacoma Narrows Octopus. This massive cephalopod is rumored to linger in the waters between Tacoma and the Kitsap Peninsula, simultaneously striking terror and wonder into the hearts of those who dare to work and play in this chilly channel. The alleged 600-pound creature may be just an oversized giant Pacific octopus, but with an average weight between 22 and 160 pounds, the likelihood of this creature's otherworldliness feels more believable. This cryptid haunts the specific waterway due to the ruins lodged in its depths. When the Tacoma Narrows Bridge perhaps better known by its infamous nickname, Galloping Gertie, collapsed in 1940, all 5,900 feet of carbon steel plummeted into the water below. Nowadays, the ruins are an octopus hotspot, attracting divers from all over the world. If you visit the Tacoma Narrows, the giant Pacific octopus may not be the only cephalopod you will find hiding in the deepest, darkest corners of the ruins. Octopus, 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 swim, swim, octopus. Swim up, swim down, swim forward, turn around. Hey, hey, check it out. Jimmy's back. Good to hear you, buddy. We have a couple new listeners this week. Bill and Bonnie, welcome aboard. And shout out to all of our regular listeners. Kyle, James, Steve, 
Dylan, Matt, Linda, Michelle, Fred, and our news correspondent, Paul Chadwick. We really appreciate you guys. And now, here is the Nicholas Cage Meltdown of the Week. That is a samurai sword. Uh, you cannot take that on the plane. No, listen, you don't understand. I need this sword to do what I have to do. Are you trying to get me killed by Al-Qaeda? Is that, is that what you want? No, I want you to realize that you cannot take a sword onto an airplane. Can't. If there weren't people like me doing things that people like you told us that we couldn't do, then nothing great would ever get done, and America wouldn't be awesome. I mean, let me tell you something, lady. We may have our flaws, but America is Awesome! You cannot carry the sword onto the plane. Tell that to George Washington! Gary, pack the sword. Yes, my lord. This week on the show, we have Strange Visitations. And right while I was editing this very episode, our friend Linda had a strange visitation. On Monday night, she saw a shadow guy, Andrew Cold-looking fellow. He was squatting on some of her packing boxes. She was reaching for her light to turn on, and about that time, he stood up with his arms out that looked like wings, and he was jumping toward her. She turned the light on, and he just disappeared. Crazy stuff. On Sunday, February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1858, a 14-year-old French country girl, Bernadette Sabiris, returned on impulse to the grotto outside the little town of Lourdes, where three days earlier she had an extraordinary experience, a vision of a beautiful young lady. She hoped to see the vision again. Her hope was justified, and the figure did indeed reappear, though the friends she was with saw nothing. Suddenly, Bernadette began to throw holy water at the figure, till the file she had brought was empty. The authenticity of Bernadette's vision that day and afterwards is accepted by millions who might consider that skeptical action on her part as almost sacrilegious, but of all the incidents in the story of Lords, it is perhaps the most revealing as to both the attitude of the witness and the identity of the figure she saw. The fact that Bernadette deliberately took holy water with her on her second visit to the grotto tells us that, although sure that her vision had been real, she was ready to face the possibility that it was diabolical in character. Had this been the case, the vision would have vanished then and there, for tradition says that demons cannot bear holy water. When the figure stood its ground, Bernadette was convinced that it was truly a divine vision, nor was it offended by Bernadette's suspicion. It smiled at her, nodding as though it fully understood that Bernadette, as a good Catholic, had to make the test, for the powers of evil were said to be capable of masquerading as sacred visions. 
it is clear that to this country girl of the 19th century the existence of blessed visions and demonic apparitions was a living reality and the precautions she took to protect herself were down to earth and practical at the same time the fact remains that Bernadette's vision manifested in a form ambiguous to her even after seeing the vision six times Bernadette told a priest who suggested that it was the Virgin Mary I don't know if it was her she hasn't told me so why was the vision so defendant about revealing its identity theologians skirt the issue by suggesting that the intention was to test the visionary's faith but it is not easy to see why the faith of this French girl had to be tested over and over again the behavior of Bernadette's vision becomes comprehensible only when we look for its origin in Bernadette's own state of mind Haunted, I have a strange visitor mystery for you. It's called the Torred Mystery, the man who vanished as mysteriously as he came. The man said that his country had been in, in existence for 1,000 years and was a little puzzled why his country was called Andorra on the map. In New Delhi, in uh, July 1954, a smartly dressed man arrives at Haneda Airport in Tokyo, Japan. Much like other passengers, he makes his way to customs. But whatever happened from this point onwards have left all puzzled and concerned. When questioned by the customs officers, the mysterious passenger said he was from Torred, also referred to as Torred Mystery. The mystery man claimed that it was the third time he was visiting Japan from his country. But, to the surprise of officers, they couldn't find any country named Torred. The primary language of the man, described as Caucasian-looking with a beard, was French. However, she was purportedly speaking Japanese and other languages as well. Officers were perplexed because they had never heard about any such country. The passport of the man was issued by, of course, from Torred. The passport looked authentic, but the place was not recognized. The man was then given a map and asked to point out his country. He immediately pointed to the area occupied by the Principality of Andorra. Andorra is at the border of France and Spain. The man said that his country had been in existence for a thousand years and was a little puzzled why his country was called Andorra on the map. The man argued with the custom officers for long and refused to give in. He was also carrying currencies of different countries, probably because he made several business trips. The mystery man shared other details like the company for which he was working and the hotel, hotel where he stayed. Officials find out that the company which he mentioned existed in Tokyo, but not in Torred. Similarly, the hotel he mentioned did exist, 
but hotel employees informed them that no such booking was ever made. This prompted officers to take the man into custody for further interrogation. <laughs> yeah, like arrest the guy. Officers were suspicious that he might be some criminal and confiscated his documents and personal belongings. The officers put the mystery man in a nearby hotel whilst they conducted their investigation. To ensure that the mystery man didn't escape, two guards were placed on the door. It must be mentioned that the hotel room in which he was staying had one entry and one exit point. But to everyone's surprise, the man vanished the next morning. Not only that, but all his personal documents had also disappeared. A search was launched to find the man, but in vain. The thing that was troubling investigating officers was that he was put up in a room high up in a multi-story hotel building with no balcony. Some people argued that the mystery man was indeed from Torred, but the country happens to be in another universe and somehow passed through a parallel dimension and ended up at the Haneda airport. Another theory is that the mystery man was a time traveler and had mistakenly landed at the airport. Above all this, there are people who claim that it's just an elaborate internet hoax. The following account appeared in Fate magazine in May 1977. Thanks, Fate. I was in the garden with my mother at her home in Somerset. Suddenly, mother put a finger to her lips to indicate silence, and then she pointed to one of the blooms. With astonishment, I saw what she was seeing, a figure about six inches high, in the perfect shape of a woman, and with brilliantly colored wings resembling those of a dragonfly. The figure held a little wand and was pointing at the heart of a rose. At the tip of the wand was a little light, like a star. The figure's limbs were very pale, pink, and visible through her clothes. She had long silvery hair which resembled an aura. Hmm. Synchronicity. Maybe. <laughs> you know, two weeks ago. She hovered near the rose for at least two minutes, her wings vibrating rapidly like those of a hummingbird, and then she disappeared. Perhaps the most surprising aspect of the experience was the way in which the little creature corresponded in practically every detail to the archetypal fairy of folklore and fairy stories. It came for us in the graveyard. We were driving by my friend's really old beat-up Subaru through a massive graveyard. We stopped and walked down a hill and came across a little pond. There was someone sitting on a rock on the other side of the pond. The figure was all black and we couldn't make out any features other than the fact it looked like a man who was wearing some old-style top hat. Uh-oh. We stupidly waved and shouted, Hi! That's what I would do. He didn't show any acknowledgement and continued sitting on the rock. All of a sudden, he jumped to his feet, started running to us on the water, and then vanished in thin water 
about halfway on the pond. My friends and I screamed and ran back to the car. The car wouldn't start and we heard something banging on the back of the car. It wasn't a constant bang, but every few seconds or so we'd hear it. Nobody from outside, from what we could see in the dark, but something was making a noise on the car. I opened my phone and started dialing my mom to come give us a boost, but I had no service. None of us had any cell service. The next 30 minutes were spent trying to get her car started. No banging was heard afterwards, but we felt this heavy pressure around us. Finally, the car started and she hit the pedal to the metal. We sped out of the graveyard so fast, immediately crossing the gates all of our phones regained cell service. One thing I know for certain, that someone or something was out there. And it was not an animal, and it wasn't human. Holy moly! A tiny winged female of great daintiness. A homely little fellow in shabby brown. Golden haired girls and rosy cheeked boys wizened old men and women of diminutive size. Here comes the parade of the little people. But those are only a few of the myriad crowd belonging to that race of supernatural creatures who have peopled the earth along with humans for centuries. They are commonly grouped together as fairies. Some are so tiny that they can make a bed in a flower. Others are about three feet tall, or of human size, or gigantic. Some are so beautiful that they can enchant the beholder. Others are so hideous that they are horribly frightening. Some are helpful and benevolent. Others are harmful and spiteful. They are called the wee folk, or good people, in Ireland. The small people in Cornwall. The little fellows in the Isle of Man, the good neighbors in Scotland. The fairies most people think of tend to be winged and to look like very little humans of pretty face and figure dressed in fine filmy clothes. They are believed to be happy creatures who dance gracefully through the air. Brownies are small men of about three feet in height with shaggy heads and brownish faces, dressed in ragged brown clothes. They are good-humored and kindly disposed toward humans coming out at night to help hard-put farmers get their unfinished work done. But among the brownie species are the lobes, hobs, or hobgoblins, and pucks, or robin goodfellows, who are practical jokers and might tease as much as help. And the will-o'-wisps, who can lure a lonely traveler off the path and into trouble. Leprechauns are the fairy shoemakers who live in Ireland and have come to represent all Irish fairies. They are cheerful little menfolk, dressed in green and wearing leather aprons and buckled shoes. They are usually helpful to humans, but are also known to be mischievous. The Pixies of Somerset, Pixies of Devon, and Piskies of Cornwall 
are generally red-headed and have pointed ears and turned-up noses. They help their favorites among humans, but, like the will-o'-wisp, make a game of misleading travelers. Gnomes, silkies, goblins, bogarts, knockers, derricks, greenies, kumalas. These are others of the fairy folk, coming in all sizes, all degrees of beauty or ugliness, all types of character. They are the little people, part of a deep-seated folklore that has endured for thousands of years. Is there anyone out there who still isn't clear about what doing drugs does? Okay, last time. This is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? A German woman wrote an account of her experience while climbing in the Bavarian Alps in the 1950s. You will understand that this is a rather heavy mountain tour, but there is a good way up as well as down. However, one must not miss it as I did, having started a little late for the return and light beginning to fade. All of a sudden, I found myself in a really dangerous position. As a matter of fact, one year later, a young girl fell to death exactly on the spot where I realized myself to be in an almost hopeless position. All of a sudden, I noticed a sort of big ball of light, and this condensed to the shape of a tall, rather Chinese-looking gentleman. Extraordinarily, I was not a bit frightened, and also not astonished. It all seemed, at the time, quite natural to me. The gentleman bowed, spoke a few words, led me to the tourist's way, and disappeared as a ball of light. Balls of light have been reported in a great many of curious incidents. As fireballs or ball lightning, they are an elusive but generally recognized natural phenomenon. But many have observed what looks strangely like the suggestion of a degree the Welsh lights that appeared during the height of the ministry of Mary Jones indicate intelligent guidance from some source. That source may of course have been the mind of Mary Jones herself and so likewise with the German climber. We may theorize that there was no external factor involved in any of these cases but how far can we stretch this theory? In the summer of 1953, a Mr. and Mrs. Hyatt were prospecting for uranium in the desert country of New Mexico. Mr. Hyatt had gone off on a week-long exploration trip, leaving Mrs. Hyatt in a cabin. During his absence, she became very ill and fell herself on the verge of death. As I lay there wondering what would become of me, a small light appeared in one corner of the cabin. It grew in size and, within moments, expanded into a large glowing light. It moved slowly toward me, changing from a solid ball into a geometric wheel, which whirled through my body, leaving a wonderfully clean and refreshed 
sensation. <laughs> she was this fully cleaned. I felt a surge of vitality and well-being. I rose and realized the light had completely restored my health. And these, um, and these balls of light are also commonly associated with Bigfoot sightings. It wasn't a little girl. I was camping with my husband and his family at a small remote lake in New Mexico. There were about 10 people in our group and another group of six people in the next campsite. It was nighttime and both groups were doing typical activities, making s'mores, having a few drinks, and telling stories. When we all heard what sounded like a little girl yelling out for help. Neither group had children with them, but we were all positive we were hearing a little girl and decided to search the area we heard the noises from together. There was a field behind our campsites, and we all saw a very tall, pure white figure standing maybe a hundred feet away from us in the field, making the noises. We all agreed this thing looked maybe six feet tall, skinny, and white as could be. We made our way closer to investigate, but whatever it was that we saw started backing off as we got closer, and it disappeared into the trees. All night we continued to hear a little girl calling for help as we tried to sleep. Holy mackerel. This is a story that I found on Facebook. I saved the article, but I didn't save the person's name who posted it. So, whoever you are, thank you. This is the story of the Wandering Giant. The Wandering Giant is a Bigfoot creature that is rarely reported or talked about in the Appalachian Mountains. This Bigfoot creature goes back to translations of the Shawnee and Cherokee native languages. He is a very respected Bigfoot among the Cherokee and much hated by the Shawnee. The Cherokee claimed it was a very wise and friendly creature and would leave gifts near their villages when passing through. They spoke of it as if it could talk with them in a way or communicate with them. The Shawnee, however, hated it because of its constant intrusion on their lands, and any time they would hunt, it would harm or even fatally wound some of the hunters. The Cherokee gave the best description of the creature as being as large as two men, so that would put it about 10 to 12 feet tall. He had hair like the sun, so either a bright red color or a light yellow, depending on how they mean like the sun when it comes to the fur. He carried a large stick in the shape of a spear, so obviously he was intelligent enough to use tools and things of that nature. He had a strong skunk-like odor and was often spotted near the water, either getting a drink or catching fish from it. From the Cherokee, there were no known accounts of violence. The Shawnee gave a similar description, but they claimed that it would openly attack their hunter camps and hunters, but it would never kill them. Most died only of their wounds, as back then they didn't have any kind of medicine to treat it with. 
the only kind of modern day sightings of this creature was back in the early 60s. He was seen by a group of high school seniors who were out at a party. The Death March My dad used to work as a corrections officer at a rural prison. He drove the perimeter of the property for his entire shift, where he would check empty buildings for runaway inmates. It was generally a boring job. One night, my dad was parked on a hill reading a magazine when he started to feel a thumping in his body. He described it as the feeling you get when speakers are playing a song with really heavy bass. He put the magazine down and checked his rearview mirror where he saw someone outside the truck. He grabbed his pistol and jumped out of the truck with his weapon drawn. Outside the truck, he realized it was a procession of Native Americans walking through the truck and directly through his seat, only to disappear at the exact spot he was sitting. He said it was clear that there were ghosts because many of them appeared injured. This went on for a few seconds, and then the whole procession disappeared. He called the other perimeter guy on his walkie to try to explain, and the other guy almost immediately stopped communicating. Turns out, the other guy had seen this happen before, but didn't believe in ghosts, so he wouldn't talk about it. Gadzooks! The Death March Extraterrestrials Invade Village in Peru by Tim Banal. Thanks, Tim. Residents of a village in Peru claim that they are being terrorized by mysterious beings that some have suggested are aliens, and their peculiar predicament has led to authorities descending on the community in the hopes of getting to the bottom of the eerie invasion. According to a local media report, thanks local media report, the very strange case began last month when people living in the district of Alto Nene began encountering the odd interlopers who seemingly displayed the ability to levitate. These gentlemen are aliens. They seem armored like the Green Goblin from Spider-Man, declared community leader Wari Radguli Avla, who went on to explain, I have shot him twice and he does not fall but rises and disappears. We are frightened by what is happening. He went on to describe the mysterious entities as being silver in color, with long heads and eyes that are half yellowish. As to their purported powers, Avili observed that the six and a half foot tall beings appear to sport shoes, which allow them to levitate around three feet in the air. Despite their best attempts to counteract the curious visitors, he lamented that they are experts at escaping. Concern in the community over the unsettling situation recently reached a fever pitch when a teenage girl was allegedly attacked by one of the suspected aliens and sustained cuts around her neck as a result of the unnerving encounter. With the visitors turning aggressive, residents understandably called upon authorities to intervene in the matter and rid their village of the pesky floating entities 
In response, the Peruvian government reportedly dispatched a special police force and members of the country's navy to the community to look into the very weird situation. Authorities interviewed multiple residents, including the teenage girl who is said to have been attacked. About the mysterious beings, but have come to no conclusion about the case, which is said to still be under investigation. Meanwhile, some members of the community have formed armed posses to patrol the streets at night to thwart any further attacks from the visitors. These folks in Peru are calling the aliens the face peelers because they peel your face right off. They found some bodies of folks with their faces missing. I don't know though. Is it just me or does it seem a little too convenient that the aliens are making themselves known right at the time whenever this disclosure stuff is coming out? Hmm, I don't know. Evicted by a ghost. Shortly after college, I got married. We immediately moved into a basement apartment because that's all that was available within our budget. This place had a poltergeist, and my wife was terrified. Whatever resided there with us made it clear it wanted us to live, wanted to live alone. Dishes, glasses, and other items would fly off the shelf. My wife was hit several times. There was always an ominous feeling like we were being watched. At night, when we walked through the apartment in the dark, there would be insanely bright flashes of light that would illuminate the entire room. Whoa, 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 stop right there. Now, these people are having dishes thrown at them, glasses thrown at them, and they're walking through the apartment in the dark. Okay, put your lights on. They would see insanely bright flashes of light that would illuminate the whole room. One night, while we were going to bed, as soon as my wife and I walked into the bedroom, we heard a voice from nowhere say, My name, move. The guy wouldn't even say his name. My wife looked at me. I looked at her. I said loudly, You've got it, bud. We moved out two days later and stayed with family. The old lady who owned the place died a few months later, and the house was torn down. It is still an empty lot to this day. Nothing but grass and a tree. I still drive by it every now and again. Well, thanks, mister, for your story. Evicted by a ghost. How about a Men in Black story for you? This is from John Keel's book, The Eighth Tower. There were many interesting UFO sightings in the 1920s, and at least one of these was accompanied by Men in Black manifestations. Mr. John Cole, a retired newsman in West Virginia, told me a story in 1967. The incident had puzzled him for years. In 1924, a farmer outside Jim in monster-haunted Braxton County reported seeing an airplane crash in the forest. Planes were a very rare sight in those days, especially in West Virginia, and a crashing plane was big news. According to the farmer, the plane was very odd in that it didn't seem to have any wings, didn't make any noise, and seemed unusually large, as big as a battleship, is the way the farmer described it. 
a party of men, including the local sheriff and Cole, systematically searched the woods. Within hours, they found the wreck in a small clearing. According to Cole, We weren't the first ones there, though. There were already five or six men in the clearing. Some of them were dressed in black business suits, neckties and all. And that seemed silly. In that neck of the woods, others were dressed in coveralls of funny color. Some kind of shiny material. They were talking among themselves in a rapid-fire foreign language. When we found them, they got real excited when they saw us. The men in coveralls ran into the wreck like they were trying to hide. Some of our men were carrying guns and one of them said, By God, they're spies! And he raised his gun. The strangers were all small, just a little over five feet tall. And they all looked like Orientals. You know, with high cheekbones, slant eyes, and dark skin. One of them spoke English. He told us nobody was hurt and that everything was all right. He said he would call the sheriff later that day and make out a complete report. There wasn't much we could do. No crime had been committed and nobody was hurt. But here's the real funny part. When I was looking around, I spotted a little thingamajig on the ground. I picked it up and decided to keep it. Don't know why I didn't turn it over to one of the foreigners. Anyway, I put it in my pocket. We all finally went away, leaving the foreigners to fuss with their contraption. It didn't look like much of a flying machine. In fact, I don't think it could fly at all. It was like the fuselage of a modern plane, with windows and all. But it didn't have any wings, tail, or propellers. And like the farmer said, it was mighty big. I'd say it was at least 25 feet long. It filled the whole clearing. I went back home. I was living in Weston in those days. I went right to bed. I was pretty tired from all the days hiking. About 3 a.m., somebody started pounding at my door. I got up and looked, and there was an army officer standing there. He was dressed in one of those broad-brimmed hats they used to wear. With those leg wrappings and all. It was a U.S. Army uniform, all right. I was in World War One, but we didn't see many soldiers in West Virginia in those days. Anyway, except for his clothes, he looked just like one of those foreigners from the airplane. Slant eyes, dark skin, but he was a little bit taller. You picked up something today, he said. We need it back. I was half asleep, and at first I couldn't think of what he meant, and then I remembered the metal thingamajig. It was still in my coat pocket. I went and got it. Is this what you mean? I asked him. He didn't answer. He just grabbed it and walked off without a word. He didn't seem to have a horse or a car. I shuffled back to bed. But the next day I started wondering about it. How had he managed to track me down? A couple of days later, I went back to those woods and found the clearing. It was empty. The grass and bushes were all crushed down where the airplane had been, but there was no other sign of anything or anybody. You know, I never wrote the story up. After that army officer came by, I figured that maybe it was a secret army deal of some kind, and I thought it was better to just leave it alone. The Unrest Stop
I was driving across country with my mom and sister when I was 16 and my sister was 20. It was late, but we were well rested and still alert. We were driving along an interstate and needed gas and a bathroom break, so we stopped at the only rest stop in 200 miles. There was a van full of teenagers on a road trip at the gas station, as well as a small gray car parked at the pump in front of us with two young men standing still outside of it. When we got there, everything felt wrong. We've been on the road for days and seen many rest stops at night and had never been afraid until then. My mom and sister went inside and I stayed in the car. I heard the teenagers say they were creeped out and couldn't get the pump to work, and they left in a hurry. I was watching the car in front of us and the two men had not moved at all, not an inch. They weren't talking, they weren't on phones, they were just standing there, still as stone. My sister and mom came running back out to the car, and when they got in, the two men slowly turned to look at us, while not moving or pivoting the rest of their bodies. And I swear to effing S, we all saw the same thing. They had eyes dark as pitch and empty, truly empty, not black, not reflecting any light at all, just a void. We sped out of there and didn't stop until we were in the next city. The worst thing about the entire experience? We couldn't find the place on any map. We knew exactly which spot on the interstate to look, and we couldn't find it on Google Maps or any paper map we had. We even asked locals about the creepy gas station out on that stretch of road and got only confused looks. We've traveled on that interstate since. And there is no rest stop. Heavens to Betsy! That's a scary one. Creepy stuff. And that's about all of the strange visitations. Thanks as always, Mr. Jimmy Haunted. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you right here next week. God bless. With the visitors turning aggressive, residents understandably called upon authorities called upon authorities to intervene in the matter. Called upon authorities to intervene in the to intervene in the matter. I won't do that whole sentence over. How's that?